Welcome to Way Family Church. You're listening to our sermon podcast. Way Family Church is a new church plant in Tucson, Arizona. We welcome you to join us every Sunday morning at 1030 for worship, the word, and fellowship. If you'd like more information, visit us online at wayfamily.church. Brandon, thanks so much. Thanks so much again. It's uh, such a privilege to be up here and such an amazing opportunity to just really experience the growth that the Lord's doing in me. Um, and I'm so excited to share with you what I've been learning um, in James. And so I'm just going to be jumping into the expositional series we've been going through in James this week, or I guess uh, just this past season. Um, and we're in James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11 this morning. And just an overview on what James is. James is a, he's really um, a pastor in charge of this, this church in Jerusalem. And the period during which James wrote this letter, they're actually going through a lot of like ongoing persecution in the Palestine area. And so James is writing to all these like house churches that are kind of dispersed around that area, still enduring this persecution. And we're going to see a little bit on how that persecution has kind of affected some of the attitudes and the responses of these people. Um, And James addresses a lot of that. And he starts his letter by talking about testing through trial and um, the testing of people's faith. And that trial is actually something God is using to refine these people. Um, And trial is actually the same thing that really brings out some of the the malice in these people's hearts, and it's a perfect opportunity for James to really address the church. Um, And so James talks about really the testing of their faith through trial, and then um, just recently we've been looking at some of the um, the dissension in the church just because of kind of how these people are responding in anger and complaining towards each other just at the ongoing persecution. Um, And so what we saw in James chapter 4 was that Um, James says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? So what we see is that these people are fighting, and the deep root of it is that they have some inner turmoil, probably because they don't know how God is meeting them in their suffering. So we're going to look a lot at God's will through patience and suffering this morning. Um, And just a reminder, what we covered last week, Brandon talked about the warning to the rich that we see in James chapter 5, the beginning of the chapter there, um, and that kind of as a strategy for self-preservation, a lot of the people in these, these churches were really seeking to just kind of build wealth and have this shield, um, use their wealth as their security rather than God. And to do this, they were really kind of oppressing those people around them and just taking advantage of that. And so they were turning towards sin for their security rather than towards their God. And James is offering right here, he's showing us that patience is an option that we have instead, um, that we can be reconciled to our God, know his will, for suffering, and that we can pursue him rather than pursuing security by our own means. And so the key themes we're going to look at today are the coming of the Lord and patience. Um, And James mentions the coming of the Lord a couple times. I think we have a lot of misconceptions about it, so we are going to really look at that just a little bit and see how it informs what our patience is today and the joy that we have to to anticipate at Jesus' second coming. Um, and I'm really not super creative, but I tried to come up with an analogy for this. And my, my analogy here is just imagine you're on a road trip. And uh, we're going to look at kind of, I think, a version of patience that's just kind of rooted in stubbornness. And then we're going to really kind of stretch this analogy into the passage we're reading in James and see how this informs on our own waiting. And so on this road trip, just imagine, imagine you're the perspective of a little kid um, on a road trip in Arizona. It's 100 degrees outside. The AC probably doesn't work. You're sitting next to two people who are just bigger than you are. Um, and you're just sweaty. You're sticking to the people around you into the car seat. This is not a good ride. Um, 
And I think this kind of parallels how we see some of our suffering, but we know that we have to get to our destination, and so kind of begrudgingly, we'll just wait through it. Um, and some of the questions are, are we there yet? Um, and we're really gonna look at just that kind of poor example of we're being patient because we have to versus we get to be patient and we get to do it willfully and joyfully because of who God is. Um, so just bear with me as I stretch that analogy into our message this morning. Um, but if you wouldn't mind, if you have your Bibles this morning, I'd encourage you to open them and read along. We'll be in James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. All right, here James says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider blessed those who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. All right, let's pray. Dear Lord, you are so good, and we're just so excited to really look into your word this morning and see your will for patience. Um, Lord, just teach us to trust you in our suffering um, and by patience to just hang on to the promises that you've given to us. Um, and Lord, just teach us the goodness of your suffering, of suffering in your name during our present time. Lord, with our eyes fixed on what's to come. Lord, I pray that the words I speak this morning would not be mine, but that, Lord, you would just use me as your vessel and that you would grow your body. Um, Lord, help me just be empty. Um, and Lord, just please do the growth in our church. Lord, you're so good. Um, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, sweet. All right, so right here we see that um, patience isn't just like an encouragement. It's not just a, a good thing. Patience is actually commanded. Um, James starts this passage by saying, be patient. And he, he says that, I think, three, four times just in telling people to wait, be patient, being patient. Um, and he's saying, be patient for the coming of the Lord. I think sometimes this phrase, the coming of the Lord, prompts a lot more questions than answers that we actually have. And sometimes our misconceptions um, and our frustration of what we want to know about the Lord's second coming and what we see in the word produces a lot of anxiety and I think insecurity in our lives just as we're like really uncertain about what's happening. And so I really want to quickly make sure that we're sitting in the right posture on how we view the coming of the Lord. Um, and really, I, I think one of the main purposes that I want to focus on is the Lord's coming is for our salvation and for our joy, right? Um, how many of y'all know the, the old hymn, um, How Great Thou Art? I would hope most of y'all know that. It's a really good song, and I, I hope we get to, to sing it at some point soon. But um, verse 3 of that song says, When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart. And then you know what we do after that? We all belt the chorus because it's an awesome song. <laughs> and so I think, you know, that kind of like parallels the excitement that we ought to have looking at the second coming of the Lord. And what we'll read from um, Hebrews chapter 9, verses 27 and 28. Here the author of Hebrews says, And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. 
And so what we see here is that when we're reconciled to Christ and when we're living life in him, the second coming is actually good news for us and we get to eagerly await who Jesus is. Um, he's coming to, to restore all things to himself and that includes our salvation. And so instead of this paranoia and this anxiety, I think that's too often coupled with the second coming of the Lord, we have the privilege of being excited and being joyful that we'll get to stand before him and he's gonna take us home. And I think that really informs what our patience looks like, especially in this passage that we're reading in James. Um, and so back to our road trip analogy. What we're gonna see is that, you know, in the midst of all our grumbling, it's hot, I'm suffering, I feel like I'm gonna die in this car. Um, I think a passage that really informs this is Romans 8, 18. It says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And so what we see is that suffering is still present, but what's so much greater and so incomparably greater is God's own glory that we'll get to see revealed completely at the second coming. Um, and so we can really take encouragement in this promise and know that suffering is temporary. God's glory and our salvation and restoration to him is eternal and it's good. Um, yeah, and so we also see really the key idea here, be patient. Um, and I think the question prompted is how long? Now, James in chapter 5, verse 7, he says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. And that's an event, but it doesn't tell us how long our waiting is. And so back in our, our road trip, I think it's really easy to imagine a kid saying, Are we there yet? And Dad just says, Soon. And that actually really parallels the biblical narrative we have of God saying that he will come swiftly to fulfill his promises, but us still awaiting the fulfillment of that promise. And um, I think it's hard to reconcile because it feels like God's been saying soon for 2,000 years, and, and really he has. Um, and so what we're going to look at is 2 Peter 3, 8 through 10. Here Peter says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. So what we see here is that our God exists outside of time, and he's actually just that infinitely greater. Um, and so our conception of time, when we would accuse this, the Lord of delaying his promise and being slow, what we're seeing here is Peter's telling us that his waiting isn't out of neglect, but it's out of mercy. God desires that we would reach repentance, and day by day, he's adding members and souls to his kingdom. And so we ought to rejoice as the days continue. You know, expect and enjoy the coming of the Lord, but wait and praise as God is growing his kingdom. Um, so we see that the, the waiting we do is actually out of God's mercy. Um, and yet, while we wait, our, our waiting and our patience isn't passive. We're not just waiting for the Lord to do something, but there's actually an encouragement for us to still take action and to be prepared. And we'll see that in Matthew chapter 24. Verse 36 says, But concerning the day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. And I think there's a lot of paranoia and fear that if we don't know the day of the coming of the Lord, how are we gonna be prepared for it? Um, and part of the promise that God will fulfill, that he's swift to fulfill his promises, is that we would always be prepared. 
not for doomsday and Armageddon, but for the coming of the Lord, um, that we get to wait with expectant joy. Um, and in verse 44, that same chapter, Matthew 24, Matthew, or Jesus says, Therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not know, you do not expect. Um, and so really we're going to look at what is it to be patient and to be ready. How is readiness informing our patience, and how is the coming of the Lord informing our patience? And we're going to trace that theme through James this morning, um, specifically the, the five verses we're looking at. Um, and what I observed from these verses is that our patience is rooted in four things. Um, first thing of those is a joyful anticipation, an intimate knowledge of God, love towards others, and endurance by faith. Um, don't worry if you can't write those down if you're taking notes right now because um, we're going to go through each one in a little bit more detail. Um, but we're going to start right there looking at what our our patience is rooted in, we're going to start with that joyful anticipation. And so we already talked about the Lord's second coming. That's what we're being patient for. And we're anticipating with joy that second coming because for us it is good news who are in Christ because Jesus has already suffered um, the penalty that that judgment would have on us because we've received him. Um, and so with joy, we get to expect Jesus' second coming. Um, and then the rest of that, that verse, we're looking at James Five, verse 7. He says, See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. Um, so I was really looking into this. What, why is James talking about early and late rains? Um, and actually, it's really important knowing the, kind of the time period and where they are geographically. Um, Palestine, and Palestine, the farmers, needed these early and late rains to even have a harvest. Um, and so their very lives were dependent on these rains. Um, without the early or the late rains, they wouldn't have a harvest and they would starve, they and their families. Um, but what's important to note is that these rains don't come from the farmers, but from the Lord. And so these farmers knew what dependence on the Lord looked like. Um, and so James is really explaining that these rains come from the Lord and the harvesters have to wait for those rains to cultivate the fruit of the earth, right? Um, and I think for us, we can still apply that same promise and look at how we can expect precious fruit in our own lives. Um, and we have really two ways that God provides and cultivates that fruit in our lives. One is his word and the other is his spirit. And so what we'll look at is Isaiah chapter 55, verses 10 through 11. Um, Isaiah says, For us the rains and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it sprout and bring forth giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. And so we see that when the Lord is sending rain and snow from heaven to the earth, it's for his purpose, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, accomplishing that which he purposes and the thing for which he sent it, right? Um, but ultimately it's the Lord who's sending the rain and it's the Lord who has sovereign control on how it's gonna work in our hearts. And so when we read the Lord's word, we can trust that it's from him to accomplish his own purpose in our lives. And we can expect and ask that of him, that we would see how the word is accomplishing his purpose in our lives. Um, and then the second thing is really looking at God's own spirit that he's entrusted to us. In uh, Galatians 5, 23, um, Paul says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, 
kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, goodness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And so what we see here is that there's fruit cultivated in us who have the Spirit of God um, because Jesus has granted that as a deposit for our inheritance, that that fruit in our lives comes from God himself. Um, Just as God is providing the reins, he's provided the Spirit in us, and he's providing fruit through that Spirit that we get to tangibly enjoy and see and praise God for. Um, But ultimately, we're not responsible for that joy, for that peace, and that patience, and that love that comes from the Spirit, but God himself is. So it's really important that we turn back to God in our patience, trusting and expecting joyfully that he would fulfill the promises he's given us in our lives presently and at the second coming of his son. Um, and then I think it's, uh, it's really easy to, to read these words and to believe them, but to struggle to actually experience them and see them in our lives. Um, and that's where faith really comes in. And we read in Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And so by faith, I think we can wrestle with God's promises and plead with him that we could see them fulfilled and just continuing in our lives. Um, so if you're wrestling, seeing how God is moving in your life, you're not alone. And by faith, I'd encourage you to keep pursuing the Lord and pursuing others and asking and just wrestling with these ideas. Um, but yeah, that's really the, the first thing that our, our patience is rooted in, especially in this passion, is a joyful anticipation at the Lord in our lives and at the Lord in his second coming. And then the second thing we're really going to look at right now is um, patience being rooted in an intimate knowledge of God. Um, we read James chapter 5, verse 8. He says, you also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Really, that phrase, establish your hearts, actually gives us so much insight on what our patience looks like. Um, In other translations, it talks about stand firm and to take courage. And so really establish our hearts as being rooted and immovable in the truth of God's promise. Um, And I looked up that that word in in the Greek. It's called, it says sterizo is a Greek word used for establish. And the root of that word means a support that fixes and plants down. And so what it really looks like to establish our hearts is to fix ourselves and plant ourselves in the truth of who God is and in his word and in knowledge of him. And from that knowledge is going to come this courage and this firmness that will be unshakable in the waiting. Um, so we know that you know, we're enduring suffering during our present time, but that's, that suffering is not going to move us from having our eyes fixed on the prize that God has promised ahead of us. Um, And I think a a passage that also really informs this uh, with similar language is Ephesians 3, 17 through 19. Here Paul writes that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the length, the breadth, the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And so as we're planting ourselves in God, we're being watered and abundantly filled by God. We're learning about him and we're experiencing that true intimacy of God's presence in our lives. Um, Just being filled filled with his fullness um, and then learning more and more about the depths of his love intimately. Not just like a head knowledge, but really being able to experience by being planted in the Lord. And that's really what's gonna give us the courage and the firmness to stand during our suffering, um, to endure patiently for the coming of the Lord. 
All right, and I want to look at our, our third kind of key of what our patience is rooted in, um, and that's love towards others. Um, and so when we have this intimate knowledge of God, um, we know we have a, a relationship with God. That's really what intimate knowledge is. Um, Jesus in John chapter 15, verse 9, he says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. And so we see that as the Father loves the Son, Jesus loves us, and we're to abide in that love and to seek that relationship with him. When we really experience that love, that's going to inform and compel us to love others well. And we're going to see that in James chapter 5, verse 9, that our patience is rooted in love towards others. In verse 9, James says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. What we see here is first the command to, to not grumble, and then kind of the warning of judgment. And I think they're really well connected because when we're um, just like these, uh, these Christians who are going through persecution in the Palestine area, when they're under pressure, what's kind of revealed is their anger towards one another and their blame towards others at their circumstance rather than their trust in God. Um, and so I think out of a natural reaction to that persecution and that trial, what we see is that they're grumbling and complaining against each other, um, blaming each other for their circumstances and kind of pointing out imperfections in each other rather than really coming to the Lord with their trials and seeking the goodness of others and the church. What we're going to see is that love takes humility and it takes just as much patience as what James is encouraging us to hear. Um, we're going to look back at that James chapter 4, verses 1 through 2. It says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. So what we see here, again, is that persecution just really reveals all of this inner turmoil that these Christians have and that they're not seeking the Lord in it, but they're seeking that their desires would be met, their desires for comfort and security. Um, and what they ought to grow in is you know, really a, a knowledge of how God has designed us to be fulfilled in those desires. Um, but instead, what they're doing is just seeking that those desires would be met by oppressing and reacting negatively towards others. Um, and so this is causing the quarrels and the fightings in the church that James is writing to. Um, and we're going to look at just the humility that love takes. Um, John 15, verses 12 through 13. Jesus says, This is my command, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. And so what we see here is that love takes us really being less of ourselves and laying down our desires for the interest of our friends. Because that's what Jesus did for us, right? Um, and so if we are to love others well, we need to just submit ourselves under, under Jesus' love um, and lower ourselves in humility. And remember, the theme we've been tracing through James is that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so it is a good thing to be humble and to seek God's grace. Because if we're proud, you know, we might not think we need it. In humility, we can seek God's grace and we can reflect it towards others. Um, what we read in Philippians 2, verses 3 through 4, he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. 
let, you not, let each of you look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Um, and so what we see in that verse is really a similar idea of we're counting others more significant than ourselves, and we're trying to meet their needs because God has already met us in our needs too, right? Um, and so back to our, our road trip idea, right? <laughs> we're still in this car, and it's, you know, not the most ideal of circumstances, but what we can do now is we can share some snacks and some water with those around us. Instead of grumbling and complaining, we're going to look that their needs would be met and that we can love them well. What this is going to do is it's just going to shine as a light to those people around us that we're focused on God's kingdom and the destination we're going to. And the suffering does not have the weight and the slavery over us that it might have if we were still bound by, by sin and by not knowing our Lord, by being turbulent about the destination we're going to. And so when we take joy in our destination, then we can know that we can respond in love to those around us in humility, um, seek that their needs be met. All right, and we're going to look at this, this other idea in verse 9, just about the judgment. Um, verse 9, he says, So that you may not be judged, behold, the judge is standing at the door. Um, Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, chapter, or Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5, he says, Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So what we see here is that even when we're you know, trying to correct our brothers, more often than not, this is actually rooted in our own malice and judgment towards them. Um, and so what we need to do is in humility, be aware of the log in our own eye if we're to correct our brothers. Because I think there's still a way to lovingly correct, but only as Jesus has already poured into our lives can we pour into the lives of others. Um, so it's really important that we would know that judgment belongs to Jesus and not to us. Um, and that in our grumbling and complaining, we'd first make sure that we've been filled by God's grace and God's spirit. We wouldn't grumble and complain, but we would seek that Jesus meet other people in their lives too. Um, and then this really cool idea stood out to me. Um, behold, the judge is standing at the door. Um, just in case you didn't know, that the judge capitalized. Um, Jesus is that judge, and that's why it's, it's capitalized there. Um, that judgment does belong to him. Jesus is standing at that door. And for the world that doesn't know Jesus, this is actually a really scary reality. Um, because if Jesus is standing at the door to judge them, um, then they do have fear to be. They are awaiting in fear. Um, but what Jesus also offers in Revelation 3.20, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and eat with me. And so what we see is Jesus still desires that we would invite him into our hearts. Um, even though he stands justly at the door as a judge, his grace and mercy are still so important to his character, right? Um, and so he stands at the door, and he awaits us to invite him into our hearts. Um, and when we do that, we acknowledge that Jesus has paid the penalty for our sins, and that the judge who stands at the door is actually going to bring us home, and so we can be joyful about that. So if we've accepted Jesus into our hearts, this is good news for us. Um, we see the judge at the door, and we can be excited because we know our destination is home with him. Um, but if we don't open the door to him, and this is a, the case for the world that rejects Jesus, um, he still stands at the door, and he's still Lord. And so if he's standing at the door in judgment, 
then really the world, um, it's not good news for the world, right? Um, and so it's so important, y'all, that we really think about, have I invited Jesus into my heart, or is he still standing at, as judge at the door? Because um, Jesus wants fellowship with us, and he wants us to accept the forgiveness he's given us, right? Um, and so let us open that door towards him and let him be the Lord of our lives. Um, again, sorry, the main idea of that was um, just having love towards others and that do not grumble and do not complain um, just because Jesus loves us and desires fellowship with us too. Um, and that gives us the patience, y'all. That's what our patience is rooted in. Um, this first idea of joyful anticipation, um, an idea of intimate knowledge of God. Our patience is also rooted in love towards others. And this last idea we're going to look at is our patience is rooted in endurance by faith. And so we'll read James chapter 5, verses 10 through 11. Here James says, Behold, we consider those... I'm oh, sorry, 10 through 11. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Y'all, the end of that about the purpose of the Lord being compassionate and merciful is so key to this idea of our patience and our suffering. Um, what we're seeing here is that we have the example of the prophets and of Job, these people who have suffered much. And the idea is that through that suffering, the Lord's compassion and mercy are present. Um, and so I think that's also a really challenging idea to wrestle with. And so we're really gonna dive deep into that. Um, starting with verse 10. Um, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Um, and I think there are a lot of prophets we could look at. Um, I really wanted to just look at the two prophets, uh, the major prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah. What we see is that in their ministry, they had a lot of suffering and a lot of troubles. And they finished the ministry, um, according to the church history, Isaiah was most likely sawn in half. Jeremiah was beaten, thrown into a cistern, and stoned to death. And we see that to walk faithfully with the Lord does have a cost. And we have to ask ourselves the question, is it worth it? And I think by faith, we know that our destination is good and that this is worth it. It is worth the endurance, but it doesn't mean we disqualify the suffering that happens, right? And so we're going to look at Hebrews 11, verse 37. Here the author of Hebrews says, They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. And so y'all, I really don't want to disqualify the, the reality that our, our suffering is real, and it's painful, and it's, it's costly to follow Jesus, um, especially in a world that doesn't know him and doesn't love him, right? And so never um, consider to yourselves that your, your suffering isn't real or that it's outside of God's design and reality. Um, what we're going to look at is what we have hope in and how God's goodness is still present in the midst of our suffering. Not just at the end of it, um, though we know our destination, and it's so amazing that God is calling us home as children of his kingdom, right? But we're going to see at how... Um, 
God's mercy and compassion are actually working for our good in the middle of our suffering. How suffering is actually submissive for God's good purpose. Um, we'll read in Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. Um, this is again the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, blessed are, you when other, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so what we see here is that there's this encouragement that blessed are you. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. And so we look forward still in the midst of our suffering, enduring by faith for the gift that is for us in heaven. Um, and we can rejoice in that. Um, and then really consider how God's working in the midst of our suffering. Uh, we read in Romans 8, 28. Um, I'm going to flip to that passage real quick. Here, Paul says to the church in Rome, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And so we know that, again, suffering is for good, and it's not outside of what God's doing in our lives. And um, again, in Hebrews 11, we know that now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And so even in our suffering, when we can't see God's good reward, by faith we're going to trust that God is fulfilling these promises that he's given us, that he is good in our lives. Um, and that moves us, again, to not be ashamed of our faith, ashamed of the gospel in our lives. Um, and we read in Romans 1.16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And so what we see is by faith, we're perceiving this reality of God's own righteousness and goodness. Um, for the righteous shall live by faith. So faith isn't just something we have, it's something we live by. Um, and this is so important that in the midst of all of our suffering, we're not separating it from faith, um, but we're really reconciling all things to the Lord and just wrestling with what is happening um, and asking God to, to teach us, to reveal to us how he's using our suffering for his goodness. And we're going to see just an example of this um, in, in Job. Um, so James 5, verse 11, he says, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord and how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. What's really hard to, to really trail through reading the book of Job is it's a really hard book to read. Uh, we're reading all about Job's suffering and all about these friends who have accused Job falsely of being not righteous um, and not faithful to the Lord. And Job is having to, to really talk to these people who are accusing him of all these things and still approach the Lord with, with trust. Um, but there's a lot of suffering, right? And there's not a, a worldly reason to it. And so Job is really having trouble reconciling this reality. And we'll read in Job chapter 1, verses 20 through 22. It says, Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. What we see here is, if you're not familiar with the, the story of Job, this is right after, essentially, all of Job's children have, have died in a, in a household. All of Job's assets have been burned or, or raided and killed. Um, 
and Job has essentially lost everything. And his response is still to worship and to bless the Lord. And that's why we have him here as an example of how we ought to respond in our suffering, right? Um, and the question is, how is God's compassion and mercy present in Job? Because um, we see a lot of his suffering, Job's suffering, and it's really hard to really pin what God's doing in Job's life through this suffering. What we see at the end of Job is that Job repents from kind of these ways that he's not been trusting God. And he humbles himself again, and he prays to the Lord, and he starts finding trust and peace and security in the Lord, despite having lost all of his belongings. And so now his security, again, it's not in the belongings or the seen things in front of him, but it's in the the character of God. Um, And so God has used this suffering to bring Job to a deeper peace and a deeper trust of who God himself is. And so Job's not living according to security of the world, but according to security by God. And once Job has developed this peace, um, God chooses, and God didn't have to do this, God chooses to restore Job's fortunes um, to double what he had before. And I think this story really shows us that suffering is used for the things that God values more than the things that we value, right? Um, God values our dependence on him, our trust in him, and our faith in him. And so when we're walking by faith, we have suffering, and it's going to move us to places where we can really approach God for growth. Um, And so let us not believe that suffering is something that God will not use for good. Suffering is not God's neglect, but God's compassion and mercy. And we're going to look at one more example before we close out. Um, This is uh, 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 10. Um, Paul right here is just talking about some of his own suffering. Paul says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And so we see here that God has given Paul a thorn in his side, and this does cause suffering. And before Paul is really uh, spoken to by the Lord, before Paul learns like the purpose of his suffering, he's justified in approaching the Lord saying, Lord, please remove this. This is just hurting. He's justified to ask and to desire for better. Um, But what God does instead of removing the thorn from his side is he teaches Paul about his own grace and sufficiency in his life. And so what we see is that Paul is now rejoicing about this suffering in his life because it's brought him so much more understanding of God's own grace and God's sufficiency and power that so much surpasses Paul being in comfort and Paul's strength And so we see that in Paul's weakness, God's strength is magnified in his life. Um, And so really, a lot of suffering, y'all, it teaches us about who God is and his sufficiency in our lives. Um, Suffering is often in ways we are justified and being hurt and crying out. And it's good to bring that to God, just as Paul gives us an example of. Um, But let us trust that God is working for his good purpose in our suffering. 
God is working for his compassion and mercy in our lives in the midst of our suffering, and he desires that we would know him deeper and deeper by our suffering. Um, and so I have some, um, some questions for us to ponder. Um, and I wrote these up here intentionally. Um, the first one is, how am I suffering right now? Um, for Paul, it's a thorn in his side. And for Job, it's, um, it's the loss of just everything for him. I don't want us to disqual disqualify the suffering that's happening in our lives. Because I think if we don't address the suffering, then we can't go to God to ask for growth through it. Um, and so it's really important to process with people, how am I suffering right now? To bring it before God and ask him to reveal his goodness through it. Um, second question, what's stopping me from embracing biblical patience? Um, we saw in James that uh, chapter four, those people were, they had passions that were just at war within themselves, right? They weren't being fulfilled in the Lord um, and they desired things, but they didn't ask God for them, right? And that was separating them from finding patience and trust in God. And so I think a question to, to reflect on is, are there things that I'm seeking desires I have um, that I'm really not bringing to the Lord and not submitting to, to his lordship and asking him to fulfill them? Um, and is that separating me from patience? Am I reacting negatively towards others because I'm not approaching the Lord and content with what he's given me, his grace for me? Um, and then last question, how does my suffering reveal God's compassion and mercy? Y'all, these are challenging questions, and I don't expect anyone to come up with answers for these in an hour or a day or a week, but these are things to wrestle through for a lifetime, um, to know and to trust that God is good, that he fulfills his promises, um, that, his, that suffering on our end is not a product of neglect, but a product of mercy and compassion from him. Um, and let us just trust him all the more and um, by patience anticipate joyfully a joyful anticipation right that the lord is coming and our destination in him is good um and that we can expect abundant fruit in our lives because of who the lord is um our patience being rooted in an intimate knowledge of god that we can stand firm because we've been planted in the lord and we know his love and we can experience it, right? And we have that relationship with God. Um, our patience is rooted in a love towards others um, that out of our knowledge of God and our relationship with him, we're gonna be compelled to love others well. And this takes humility. Remember, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Um, and so we're gonna seek that others' needs would be met even in the midst of our suffering. And this is so challenging, but y'all, this is patience at its finest, and this is how the Lord was patient towards us, right? Um, and so let us just wrestle with this and pursue it. Uh, and then finally, y'all, our patience is rooted in endurance by faith. Um, for it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now let us not disconnect any suffering from our faith in Jesus, but really just bring all things under the umbrella of his lordship. And when we're uncertain about how the Lord's moving in an area of our life, um, Let's not let that move us to doubt, but just let us bring it to the Lord in uncertainty. Be honest with God about what we don't understand in our lives, what we don't understand about his design, and ask him to make those things known to us. Other than that, y'all, um, let's, let's just continue pondering those questions, even during potluck today. Um, it'd be really good to just talk to each other and hear about how the Lord's moving in our lives. Um, and to share our sufferings with each other.
Galatians 6 2 says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And so let's share some of our sufferings with each other um, and just pursue each other's hearts and pursue encouragement in the Lord for each other. Um, And let us not be moved from patience and from knowing who God is. Um, I'm going to pray for us, and I think Brandon will close us out. Dear Lord, you are so good, um, and we just stand in awe, Lord, that your design is just unsearchable. Um, Lord, that you have crafted a way for suffering and for hardship in our lives to move us back to a deeper and more dependent trust on who you are. Lord, you desire that we would run towards you in our, in our crying out and in our struggling Um, And Lord, you meet us with grace and compassion. Lord, I pray that um, for the people here, Lord, you would just make that known by experience in their lives. Lord, that they would try to reconcile the ways they're suffering back to you. Um, And Lord, ask you to reveal your goodness abundantly in their lives. Lord, that we could see fruit cultivated from our suffering. Um, Lord, by the, the grace you have rained down on us. Lord, let us, uh, wrestle with these promises as we believe them and we seek to experience them. Um, And Lord, let us trust and rely on you all the more that your power, Lord, may shine through our weakness. Lord, you're so good. I pray for our church body. Just encourage us and um, keep us enduring by faith in your name. It's in your name we pray. Amen.